0: Hi, I'm Jay Editon. And I'm Tina Carlton, filling in for Miles Stokes. And you're listening to Hawk Talk. Where we talk hawks. Now, three weeks out of every four, this is Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, a weekly podcast all about the ins, outs, retcons, clones, and time travel of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. But every fourth week, we throw away all of our careful preparation and record Hawk Talk, which, I will emphasize, is entirely unplanned and also unedited. So, um... This is going to be a good deal messier than the usual episodes. And if this is your first time tuning in to what you expected to be Jay and Miles Explain the X Men, we highly recommend starting somewhere else because, as previously said, this is unplanned, unedited, and kind of generally nonsense. So, Tina, first of all, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. You are a familiar voice to folks who've been listening to Jay and Miles Explain the X Men. You've guested on several shows, most recently ones about Star Trek. But today we are going to talk about something that is closer to your point of expertise. So, Tina, what are today's hawks?
1: Uh, today's hawks are sitcoms. As you said, I run a website called welcometotelevision.net, and on Welcome to Television, we have podcasts and zines about television. Currently, my partner Max and I are doing a podcast about Charmed and a podcast about Farscape. Both of these are dramas to a broad extent, sci-fi, urban fantasy, respectively, but... I do love sitcoms, so today I want to talk about the hawks of sitcoms.
0: So you 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 classifying those shows as dramas brings me to the first question that I wanted to ask because this is something that is hazy in my head. I watch a lot of television, but I don't know a lot about theory. How do you define a sitcom? What makes it a sitcom?
1: I'm so glad you asked that because there's actually a split in understanding between what about what makes a sitcom. Okay. So you have a person who will tell you that the only thing that distinguishes a sitcom from a drama is length of episode sitcoms are 30 minutes dramas are an hour and if it's an hour long and it's humorous like say veep they'll say it's a dramedy that is incorrect okay what makes it a sitcom is that it ends in a marriage sitcoms end in marriage dramas end in funerals And often begin with marriages.
0: When you say end, you mean the end of the entire show, or does that also qualify for, like, ends of seasons or ends of individual episodes? So, technically, the end of
1: the entire show, for it to be a proper sitcom, should be a marriage. However, some shows, like The Office, do the marriage in the episode Niagara, and then they go on for, like, four more seasons, although... Since I mentioned The Office, they do end with a marriage. It ends with Dwight and Angela's marriage because sitcoms end in marriages. Oh, uh, should we let people know that I'm going to spoil basically any sitcom we talk about?
0: Yeah, we're going to spoil a lot of sitcoms, so, you know, uh, bear that in mind if you want to listen to the rest of the episode.
1: Although sitcoms also really aren't spoilable. A sitcom, a lot of dramas have rewatch value, but if a sitcom doesn't have rewatch value, it's trash. A sitcom
0: should have rewatch value. Okay, so can we can we do some general general gathering? Like, does it have to be comedic? Because sitcom is is short for situational comedy, right? Oh yes, it must be comedic. Okay, so so a half hour, you know, depressing dramatic show, or or docudrama that ends in a marriage isn't a sitcom.
1: That is correct. Although I would have a hard time thinking of a half hour show that is a that is a drama that ends in a marriage because just just the way just the way stories are structured like a marriage is a high point. So if it's a drama it's usually probably not going to end in a marriage.
0: Okay, fair point so so general general you know sitcoms that with with which our our, our readers or listeners or whatever you're doing at the other end of this microphone. Um, you did again, unedited <laughs> might be familiar. Um, what, what's some stuff that's cur- that, that's currently happening that that falls under the umbrella of sitcoms?
1: Okay, so I'm glad you asked because I really really this sitcom has just ended,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I really want to talk about a sitcom that a lot of people slept on, which is called Superstore. Okay. Superstore is a sitcom that by Justin Spitzer, who is an office alum that takes place in kind of a Walmart style store called Cloud Nine. And there were so many people talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It was all like, oh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine this and Brooklyn Nine-Nine that. And what are they going to do in Brooklyn Nine-Nine now that people have realized that it's copaganda and they can't, like, deal with the police. And then they took, like, a whole year off. And then they came back and it was, eh. You know, it was still copaganda. It was still, oh, we can fix the system from the inside. Meanwhile, Superstore has... A three-year-long arc about trying to unionize the store. Also, there's a whole plot line about one of the employees being uh, an undocumented immigrant who gets arrested by ICE when they do an ICE raid to try to union bust. And it's incredible and amazing. And this, I feel like, is really important. They do a lot of really good Halloween episodes. And in the Halloween episodes, one of the characters... Her shtick is, like, she only wears the same costume every year. Like, this is her Halloween costume. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, a sexy vice cop costume. Okay. Last season of the show, they come back and, uh, don't mention it, don't, like, discuss it, don't feel like they need to talk about it, but now she's wearing a sexy postal worker outfit instead.
0: That's fantastic.
1: That's the correct way to do it. So everyone who was disappointed when they realized Brooklyn Nine Nine was propaganda should go get themselves over to Hulu, or I think it's on Netflix
0: now as well. Get themselves over to Netflix and watch Superstore. Something that I think of when I think of sitcoms is shows that tend to be very, very much of their time, like ones that define specific eras. I, I, and and I. I'm never certain whether this is an accurate reflection of sitcoms, or it's just that they tend to be long-running enough that I associate them with specific eras of my life, personally. Like, there's the, you know, this is these are the community years, these are the Parks and Rec years, they overlap significantly. Um, this this was the six months of one day at a time. Um, is Jane the Virgin a sitcom? Mm.
1: No, Jane the Virgin is not a sitcom. Jane the Virgin
0: is... Because it's a telenovela, or it's a a spin on telenovelas, but it's specifically a comedic spin on telenovelas, and it does end in a wedding.
1: It's true, but the spin that it gives on telenovelas is that it plays a telenovela straight. It takes the plot of a telenovela and says, what if this was actually happening? And I feel like, by definition, any time you're playing something straight, it cannot be a sitcom.
0: Uh, This guest voices are provided by nearby trucks.
1: Ah, uh, yes. I, we, I, I live on a
0: road-heavy road. Right. We're recording this in Tina's guest room, which is actually really exciting in that it will give you a break from hawk talks punctuated by sirens, which is what you get when Miles and I are recording at our respective homes.
1: <laughs> so, yes, I would say Jane the Virgin is not a sitcom. I would classify it as a telenovela with a twist.
0: Okay. So... What, what are your formative sitcoms? What were the sitcoms that kind of set your idea of what sitcoms are?
1: Well, I mean, this is so very, very cliche, especially for someone of my age, but I feel like a really formative sitcom for me is Friends. Okay. Uh, and also, in addition to Friends, uh, which does end in several weddings, including the wedding of uh, Phoebe and Mike, <laughs> underrated couple... I don't know if you if you saw the coffee cup in our kitchen that says uh, Crap Bag and wondered about that.
0: I, I did not. I missed that coffee cup.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: Much like I missed most of Friends.
1: Oh, yes. My, my, uh, my husband purchased for our anniversary matching coffee mugs that are Crap Bag and Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. These are both a reference to Phoebe and Mike, underrated couple that gets married at the end of Friends. Okay. So, yeah, Friends was a formative sitcom for me. Which makes sense because Friends kind of redefined the era of sitcom that it was starting in. Sitcoms prior to Friends did not have the hot people hang around aspect that Friends had. And after its success, sitcoms became almost
0: exclusively a bunch of hot people hang around. Hold on a second, I'm going to make sure the window is closed because I think I might have left it open, which would explain again some of the truck noises. Uh, It is closed, I closed it before we started. Never mind, you are way more professional than I am. So, going back to formative sitcoms, can, can are animated comedies sitcoms, or do they go into their own category? This, is, this, is, this hawk talk is really just an excuse for me to, to ask all of the weird, specific TV taxonomy questions that I've been wondering about.
1: Ooh, are animated sitcoms sitcoms? Not always, but they can be. I would think that if I was going to pick out An animated sitcom that is a sitcom. I would say King of the Hill is a sitcom that is a sitcom. And...
0: Is Bob's Burgers a sitcom? Bob's Burgers is a sitcom. Is The Simpsons a sitcom?
1: The Simpsons is not a sitcom. Uh, The Simpsons is too cartoonish to be a sitcom. It like exists in two unnatural of a universe it, it exists the world is just too unnaturalistic i would classify the simpsons first and foremost as a cartoon but secondly i would say the simpsons is its own thing at this point hmm. the simpsons is older than i think most of your listeners
0: yes that that seems likely it's I don't know. I, I feel like we've got a, we've got kind of a wide, wide age spread. But yeah, The Simpsons has been around for long enough that we were at one point considered too young to watch it. Right, exactly. Oh.
1: Which, by the way, at one point I was a little grateful for when I started college. And then I had all of this old Simpsons that I just never watched because I was too young to watch it at the time. And I was like, oh, look at all of this new Simpsons to catch up on. Little did I know.
0: Same. Pretty much all of my Simpsons watching happened in college, which was the last time I lived somewhere that got TV channels. Uh-huh. Um, a bunch of us would push two couches together and pile into them because you could fit more people into them that way. If you, they just sort of made them into a massive nest. Oh, yes. And watch The Simpsons every day after dinner.
1: Oh, that sounds really- Just
0: religiously. It was great. It sounds really pleasant. It was. So so going back to sitcoms you said they have to they have to end in weddings.
1: A proper sitcom will end in a wedding. I know I just mentioned King of the Hill which does not end in a wedding, but I would also argue that the last episode of King of the Hill is not a proper season finale, series finale for a show.
0: So do they have to have an ongoing plot? How episodic can they be?
1: Oh, they can be completely episodic, but it has to end in a wedding. And actually there's a really great example here, which is Fabulous Sitcom. Golden Girls.
0: I was actually about to bring that up because that last wedding episode is so fucking weird. It
1: it comes out of nowhere. They are a sitcom and they know as a proper sitcom they must end in a wedding, but there are no characters who it would make sense to get married at that point. I mean, I guess you could argue that Rose and Miles should get married, but well, I was gonna say don't even get me started on Miles, but we can just put a pin in that and I can talk about that if you want. But (laughs) (laughs) instead, they introduce a character in the penultimate episode, and it's a two-parter, so really they introduce a character in the finale.
0: Played by Leslie Nielsen.
1: Played by Leslie Nielsen to fall in love with B. Arthur and they get married. And the show ends like that.
0: Also, he is canonically low-key psychic. So that's a thing.
1: Also, he's. Also, he's Blanche's uncle, which means that. B. Arthur inherits her her family home. Huh. Yeah, yeah, the show ends with her moving to Georgia and moving into Blanche's family home.
0: Huh. Yup. I'd forgotten that part. Yup. Man.
1: The ending of Golden Girls is weird, and not to be like a downer, but when you find out that B. Arthur was just done with the show and she was like ready to go you can really feel that in her last performance yeah so it's absurdity is kind of cut by how ready everyone is to get out of there
0: the beginning of golden girls is also pretty rough i watched some of the first season a few years ago this was during the era in which among other things they had a house boy okay he's
1: only in the pilot they, they had some kinks to work out, no pun intended, before the pilot was over. Okay. So, yeah, that character does not return.
0: That's that's probably for the best.
1: Although that character, well, you do know about the spinoff of the Golden Girls, right?
0: The one where, where a couple of them had a hotel.
1: Yes, Golden Palace takes place immediately after the events of Golden Girls. And all of them, except for Bea Arthur, because she was done with it- buy a hotel, and run it for some reason. That, though, also is not a sitcom. That's just a weird hallucination.
0: Okay. Canonically? No, no. Oh.
1: But just in reality. I The whole thing is up on YouTube so you can watch it, which I did, and it's like, I don't know what I'm watching right now. It's called Golden Palace. It's weird. It's like... It's like you're dreaming about the Golden Girls, but because it's a dream, everything is a little
0: off. That sounds deeply unsettling. Yes. Deeply unsettling is a good word for it. So, what are your favorite sitcoms? What, what do you think are, like, the shining golden examples of the genre? Or just, like, personal favorites?
1: Okay, so, uh, personal favorite sitcoms. One, of course, is Happy Endings. Which, by the way, begins with a wedding, and every single season, not just the season finale, every single season ends with a wedding. Okay. Happy Endings is a sitcom, and it's really in the vein of Friends, where it's just hot people hanging out.
0: Mm-hmm. And getting married.
1: And getting married. Well, so the sitcom begins with the romance comedy trope of a wedding with a runaway bride. And the runaway bride and, and the groom obviously are good friends because that's, you know, in a, in a normal relationship, you're good friends before you get married. You don't just marry your friend's uncle the day after you meet him. And because they are good friends, they have a friend group that has to deal with the fact that, you know, Alex runaway bride it. So it starts off about that, but then it just gets bizarre and beautiful and Honestly, it's worth a watch if you haven't watched it. Happy Endings will definitely... Um, yeah, be a net positive in your life.
0: So that's... Re- How recent is that?
1: Uh, Happy Endings is in the mid-aughts.
0: Okay.
1: It was like 2005-ish, around that time period. Um, another sitcom that I love is Don't Trust the Bean Apartment.
0: 23, yes.
1: Now, this sitcom does not end with a wedding, but I no. will argue that that is because it was
0: brutally cut short. <laughs> Don't Trust the Be in Apartment 23 is is amazing. That was the first show that you did a zine about, right?
1: It's true. In fact, um, it's what inspired Welcome to Television was my desire to make my love for that show manifest in something. And it manifested in the zine uh, strumming my lady harp, a fanzine about Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment Twenty Three, which you actually have an essay in.
0: Oh, it's not an essay. I have a short story in it. Um, it is about James Vanderbeek, as played by James Vanderbeek, who is my favorite character on Don't Trust the Be in Apartment Twenty Three. Um, I should I should say by the way that that while you may think of sitcoms as family friendly, Don't Trust the Be in Apartment Twenty Three is I would say probably distinctly family unfriendly. I suppose. Um, I suppose. Family, maybe "family hostile" is, is is a better term. It's 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 um. It's not going to be everyone's show, but it's it's really really spectacularly good at being what it is.
1: I love that show because I feel like it takes what you would expect to be like a mean girls trope. I mean, the very opening of it is June saying that. It it starts in Media's Rest with June walking in on Chloe having sex with her fiance, June's fiance. On June's birthday cake, and June says this is the best thing that ever happened to her.
0: Yeah, it's a really, really good show. It's got a surprisingly deeply nuanced take on mental health, um, and and especially on 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 some more stig- stigmatized ends of 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 you know the DSM. It's extremely painfully funny. Um, it's not. It's it, it, i i was gonna say it's not based around embarrassment humor and there is embarrassment humor in it and for some reason it does not set off my my horrible cringe reflex which is bad enough that i've had to drop multiple sitcoms because of it
1: i think this one probably if i had to guess i would say this one doesn't set off your your cringe you know reactor because chloe uh who's played by kristen Ritter, by the way because oh yeah,
0: that's also amazing. Um, watching this back to back with Jessica Jones, um, is something I highly recommend.
1: Yes, uh, but because Chloe has no shame, so there is no there is no cringe to be had. Chloe has no shame.
0: That's true, and while while Chloe herself is kind of mean, the show itself generally generally isn't.
1: Right. Well, and that's what I love uh, on the twist. Right. Chloe behaves in a way that you would expect a mean girl to behave, but her true, genuine friendship with June is the heart of the show. Yeah. You you would not expect them to. To be friends, but
0: almost from the beginning, they they are. Chloe is also a type of character you rarely get to see as female on a show. Just in terms of the stuff she does, in terms of the role that she plays, I mean, I think she's she's pretty solidly in anti-hero territory, or or whatever the sitcom equivalent of that is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna also mention a sitcom here mm-hmm. that. At one point was one of my favorite television shows until the finale was so terrible that it went back in time and destroyed the show for me.
0: Ooh. I was going to say Penny Dreadful, but that's not a sitcom.
1: No, this show is How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Now, this show, interestingly enough, sets the entire final season at a wedding. Wow. The whole last season is Barney's wedding. By the way, the reason this came to mind is because Chloe is the character that you normally see as, like, a Barney Stinson character.
0: I will take your word for that.
1: That is the character played by Neil Patrick Harris in How I Met Your Mother.
0: Okay, I haven't seen it, so will it work if I sub in Neil Patrick Harris as played by Neil Patrick Harris in Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle? Uh, yeah, completely. Okay. So, the thing about How I Met Your Mother is
1: that the structure of it is Ted Mosby telling his children the story of how he met their mother. Mm -hmm. And there are scenes that cut back to the kids reacting to him telling the story.
0: Okay.
1: Now, there's a lot of stuff in that that does not hold up. Specifically, uh, Barney's character is kind of just soaked in in rape culture stuff. Mm. Which, the worst of it, I tend to excuse because we know that Ted is an unreliable narrator and also a terrible friend. So, early on I was saying, well, that's not how it actually went down. Ted is just a terrible narrator. Then, just because the chemistry between the two actors was so good, they had these two characters get together. And it was amazing. Then they did the whole last season at those two characters' wedding. At at Robin and Barney's wedding. And it was great. And the second to last episode ends with their wedding. And then the final episode is like, and here's what happened after. And what happened after is they got a divorce and things were bad and the friends stopped hanging out with each other and everyone is sad and then the kids on the couch and here's the thing this was shot early early on because those kids aged and the writers were so in love with this ending that they stuck with it even though the show had evolved past the ending they had originally written so the kids on the couch are like dad You're obviously in love with Aunt Robin. Go be with her. And he does, and it's terrible. It's a terrible ending. Because the writers were in love with the ending that they had already written. And they undid the wedding that everyone wanted to see. I'm going to be completely honest with you here. I wasn't sure when I told you that sitcoms end in weddings. But the more we talk about it, the more I'm certain that that is what makes a sitcom.
0: So I've got a couple more sort of taxonomic questions here. Okay, go ahead. Um, that are that are coming to me as as you're describing this, and and I'm I'm sort of thinking about more and more shows. Can how how much of another genre can you stick into a sitcom and have it stay a sitcom? Because for instance, I would think like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend feels like a sitcom to me, but it's hour-long episodes. It's musical.
1: I think Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is more of a musical than a sitcom. Okay. I, it, it has. It has comedic elements in the way that a musical has comedic elements, mm. and also has dramatic elements. Yeah. I, I would say, I would classify Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as completely a musical and not as a comedy.
0: Alright. So, likewise Galavant, I assume.
1: Likewise Galavant, which which even were it not a musical, I would fall under, I think, fantasy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. What... Now,
1: both of these shows, by the way, well worth watching.
0: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a whole other alternate universe where this hawk talk is about musicals. but yes. I mean... It, or, or another one will be someday. We'll see.
1: I mean, you, you asked me to mention some good music... I mean, you asked me to mention some... <laughs> yeah, right, not musicals. You asked me one to mention this. some good sitcoms, and, um, and I did. But if you had asked me what my favorite television show of all time is, I would have said Crazy
0: Ex-Girlfriend. It's really good. But back to sitcoms. Is, is there any requirement as far as audience? Can you have a sitcom for kids? Um, you
1: absolutely can. And the fun thing about kids shows, mm-hmm. or uh, the fun thing about kids stories, is when you have a children's story, then it ends at prom, not at a wedding. Prom is the children's version of a wedding.
0: Hmm. So the show, the shows that I was thinking about specifically were some classic Nickelodeon shows.
1: You were thinking. Were you thinking of Adventures of Pete and Pete?
0: I was thinking about that. That was one of them.
1: Ooh. Now as good as adventures of pete and pete is i have to admit here that i haven't watched it in many many years so i'm not comfortable classifying it
0: yeah i think of its genre as as sort of suburban magical realism
1: yeah it's it's more absurdist i think than a sitcom and and like i said i'd have to go back to
0: it but 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 then where would you put community because community goes that far and beyond
1: Community, you think, is more abstract than.
0: I don't think it's more abstract, but I think if you look at the whole show, it's definitely got a higher volume of absurdist elements, partly just because it lasted longer.
1: Well, I'd, actually, since you bring up community, another show, which is one of my favorite shows.
0: And does not end with a wedding.
1: And does not end with a wedding.
0: Although there is a wedding mid- midway through, and there's almost another wedding.
1: I would say that it's not a situation comedy where the comedy comes from the situation. Yeah. I would say it's a deconstruction of the medium of television. Okay. Which has many comedic elements and is a genius show. And I
0: love it. Uh, Back to classic Nickelodeon. uh, Clarissa Explains It All.
1: Uh, Clarissa Explains It All is a Romana Clough. It's a coming of age story. Okay. But a sitcom for children? Mm -hmm. Saved by the Bell. Yes. Ends in a wedding.
0: It ends with Zach and
1: Kelly getting married, yeah. In high school? And they've graduated at that point, but... Huh. Yeah. Okay. And in the reboot, which is not over yet, so I don't know that it's going to end in a wedding yet, uh, Zach and Kelly are, in fact, still married. Also, the reboot, definitely worth watching. Honestly, I I know I said everybody's sleeping on Superstore. Pick up the Peacock streaming app if you haven't. If you can get the password from someone, just pick it up, okay? It's got... The reboot of Saved by the Bell, which is amazingly good, which is show run by Tracy Wigfield, who did Great News, another amazing show, which I would not call a sitcom. I would call a live-action cartoon in the same genre as 30 Rock, which makes sense. Tina Fey produced them both. But anyway, Peacock. You've got Girls 5 Eva. You've got... The reboot of Saved by the Bell. You've got We Are Lady Parts. We've got Rutherford Falls. Seriously, Peacock is killing it. Get Peacock streaming if you can.
0: Uh, we should add that we have watched the entirety of Lower Decks over the last two days.
1: That's on Paramount Plus. Oh, oh
0: that's Paramount Plus. Not but Peacock. also, also good. I just I associate Peacock with because you always saw it in the the credits of the original series, which is right as you may know, my Star Trek.
1: <laughs> but yes. uh... The reboot of Saved by the Bell, I'm going to say, is a sitcom now, even though we can't classify it until it ends and we know if it ends in a wedding. But it involves... It it might actually end up being a deconstruction in the style of community because it involves kids from a lower-income high school being bussed into Bayside and reacting to the bizarre magical realism of Bayside.
0: Is the ability to stop time a class-affiliated power?
1: so it is but the class is protagonist because okay. in the original series zach can stop time in the new series it's uh the our our main protagonist who is a girl who's being bussed in from you know the other district who can stop time
0: all right i'm 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 completely just abruptly going blank here it's it's been it's been a long weird week um yeah we are we are in portland this is this is the culmination of a lot of travel my brain is, 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 is really deeply fried at this point.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I totally get that. You know what I like to do when my brain's fried?
0: Talk about sitcoms.
1: Well or rewatch one that I've watched like a hundred times. Honestly, it's that's one of the things that I love about sitcoms is that it's it's like comfort food and you can watch them over and over if they're good. I I know I know it's ridiculous, but I've probably watched The Office through, you know, twenty times.
0: American or British? American. I've only seen the British one, and it it got so crushingly bleak that I, I have trouble imagining the idea of wanting to rewatch it.
1: That's actually, I think, one of the things that makes the American office superior to the British office. Come at me. Yes, the American office is superior because it finds a humanity in its characters that's lacking in the British version. And I know that they were trying to do different things, and the difference between having to do a season that's eight episodes and having to do a season that's 22 episodes means that you have to find the humanity in your characters. Otherwise, people aren't going to spend that much time with them. Right. Also, interesting thing about The Office, when they were developing it for America, when Greg Daniels was developing it for America, Ricky Gervais told him that they were going to have to figure out what to do about the Michael Scott slash David Brent character, the
0: boss character. Because he's so amazingly horrible
1: yes and in england apparently it's a lot harder to fire someone in america so he said you have to have something that explains why he doesn't get fired from his job in america and so what they did in the american office was they showed that he was an amazing salesman he's he's just the pinnacle of a person who's been promoted above their expertise
0: okay so of leads me to another question about sitcoms and kind of and sitcom humor, as it exists. And yeah, and, oh, actually, does laugh does the existence of a laugh track have any any defining characteristic with regards to sitcoms?
1: Uh, no, a laugh track is not required for a sitcom, and you can have a laugh track on a non sitcom show. Okay, I will say that as long as I'm out here giving my my controversial opinions, mm-hmm. I think laugh tracks are too maligned there are laugh tracks that are done poorly but I think I think a laugh track can be done well and I think confusing a laugh track with a live studio audience is also a mistake I think a live studio audience can elevate a show the way that being at a live performance can elevate a show and I highly recommend listening to the podcast episode of Dakota Ring about laugh tracks it will give you an appreciation for how they're constructed
0: so I think, I think we're sort of out, not necessarily out of time, but I'm at least kind of out of brain <laughs> and stamina. And, and, and we usually try to keep Hawk Talk pretty short. Thank you so much for coming on, for subbing in for miles this week. Um, oh, you're very welcome. For, for teaching me the nuances of sitcoms. Um, for folks who are just now tuning in and wanting to hear you talk more about television, where can they find you on the internet?
1: Well, our website is welcometotelevision.net. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Tina Carlton. And you can find either of our ongoing podcasts in any of your podcast catchers. One is Welcome to Hallowell Manor. That's the one about Charmed, old school Charmed. And the other is Welcome to the Uncharted Territories, which is the one about Farscape.
0: And tune in next week, same bat time, same bat place, for a normal regular episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we will continue our ongoing and possibly endless coverage of Onslaught.